Hello and welcome to another episode of the Agency Podcast. Eugene here in Toronto and today I'm with Candy in Chicago and Sarah in Edmonton for a special episode because today we're going to talk all about succession. Hey Eugene. Hey Sarah. Hi Candy and Eugene. Hi. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this because I really have had no one to talk about it with. I don't know anyone who watches the show, at least not except for Eugene and I. And um, we kind of glossed over it on a past episode. And um, so I think it's going to be kind of interesting. You know, I can say right away off the top that I never would have watched this show. Um, Eugene really was stoked about it. And um, and he told me it kind of reminded him of some stories going on in Toronto with a big corporation, a media corporation. So I thought, well, I'm going to be a good sport and I'll watch it. And even after... One episode, I was like, yeah, this is really don't want to watch it because these people are unlikable. It took me three episodes to realize it was a comedy. Once I And once I started to realize it was very well written and it had quite intriguing, weird humor, I got into it. And I'm really glad I watched it. I love it. I'm glad for the pop culture um, phenomenon that it is because even though I don't know those people, tons of people are watching it and have watched it. Um, Sarah, what made you want to get into it? Uh, okay, something very strange. And people <laughs> don't believe me when I say this, but it is 100% true. I wish my old Facebook account uh, had not been lost and deleted because I actually did have some evidence of it there. But Brian Cox has long been my favorite actor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love like British, Irish, Scottish character actors i love like jim broadbent and yes. uh and guys like that and yeah i just always always loved him and it was so good so refreshing to see him get a good juicy role like this it is so and true. when i saw him start to win awards and get accolades for it i was just over the moon because he's he's one of those actors that everyone is familiar with you're like oh yeah yeah i've seen that guy but you don't really think about him that much. You don't really go out of your way to see him or anything like that. So to see him get this role and to just absolutely crush it was fantastic. I loved it. So I had to watch it. I had to. You had to watch it. Yeah. Well, I, I had a little interview with him in, in which he said that now when, when fans see him, they no longer ask him for an autograph. They ask him to tell them to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> That's and he right. does. That's Become an iconic thing now, right? Like, fuck off. Yeah, I know. It's fantastic. It really is. And um, you know, of course, I mean, he was Manhunter. He was Hannibal Lecter, the first film Hannibal yes. Lecter. Right. Um, I used to tell people that is by way of introduction, just to jog their memories, saying totally, you know, because it is kind of shocking. Um, you know, when when I when I heard a clip from Man uh am I saying it right, Manhunter? Um I'm calling it wrong. We know the movie I mean about Hannibal Lecter, yeah. but I feel like I'm giving the wrong title. The first book was Manhunter. Okay, good. Then we're on it. Okay, Michael Mann movie. And, um, you know, now when I hear it, I'm like, oh, my God, that voice. But when I watched Succession at first, it didn't click with me. Like, it took me a little while to realize, oh, I do know him. And now he's doing a McDonald's commercial. Oh, really? It, it's very creepy. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> and it, it came out, like, probably about two months ago which is very relevant to where we are, you know, this season to hear him be doing this commercial is kind of a shock, but now I'm really liking his voice. 
Oh, he has a great voice. Great yeah. voice. Well, I would characterize, sorry, I would characterize the show, as you said, a comedy. I would call it a satirical dark comedy overlaying a much darker story about abuse. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has a lot of abuse in it. And yeah. some of that abuse does come clear. We don't know exactly what it is, but we know what happened in the last, was it the, the last year's season when he goes to Scotland? Logan Roy? Well, we know we know that really those kids were really abused, I think, as oh. kids. Well, that's true. Uh, and you see over and over again, we see scenes in which the kids are together and they go back to their childhood. Yeah, that's true. Or they'll say, well, is this going to be like when you did this and I had to do that? Or right. several examples. Hey, Eugene, we are going to be giving spoilers. We're going to we're going to be talking about anything we feel like in the show. But first, Eugene, maybe someone does want to listen to this and they don't care about the spoilers. Can you give us a basic entrance to the story series? <laughs> okay, it's the uh, it's the story about um, a family of that's led by logan roy who owns uh, a company named waystar royco or royco waystar and he's getting old um and he's starting to talk about who is going to succeed him as leading the company and the kids shiv kendall and roman are all chomping at the bit for it um, and then the other kid, Connor, is off doing his own thing, whatever that is. Um, I guess it, eventually it becomes a presidential run. Um, and he gets, gets bought off for an ambassadorship, which is just so absurd. You know, like that, of course, could happen. Yes. Yes, it could. And, um, and um, sur surrounding like the family. Yeah. Surrounding the family. I think are a, a whole bunch of parasites. There's there's the mistress, there's the um, the communications people, the lawyers, the finance people, and when the Logan Roy character dies, just how much they're all parasites really emerges. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, and he, but he is around for in the first when this when the show opens, he's sick. It looks like he's going to die, and so we start to see that kind of gameplay happening with the family. Um, it's been said, and it is true, that um, the emotional territory is like King Lear, where King Lear tells his daughters, "I, I want to give you my land, but it has to be the daughter that loves me and tells me the best." And what happens is you go through the play. And you find out, does any do any of them love him? You know, and and I guess Logan Roy has bullied his kids into trying to prove to him that they should have succession of the family business, which is a media corporation. It was um it was originally going to be a mockumentary about Rupert Murdoch, and they have not hidden that it was that literally they have pulled things out of his life for this. Oh. They haven't they haven't said they didn't. They took the mockumentary and they realized, oh, my God, we can make this into a, a series. There are strong Lear vibes and you do absolutely get the Murdoch vibe because he owns a like a right wing uh, mm -hmm. 
news channel, things like that, you know, very, very clear echoes of Murdoch. But you also get a lot of Kennedy vibes. Totally. Yes, that's, that's sort true. Of the American <laughs> dynasty vibes um, coming up from nothing and kind of bootstrapping your way into this unimagined success and then having your kids kind of vying for power and, and being powerful in their own right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's pretty much an American dynasty story. It could echo so many people who have come to power in America. Very good point. Um, I'd also heard that they did pull in a couple of other guys like this. Um, not necessarily Ted Turner, although he could fit a little bit, but um, Robert Maxwell. And we yes. all know who that is. That's Elaine Maxwell's father. And um, yeah, he had a media corporation and I guess he had, you know, messed up children and fighting. Right. And he, he owned tabloids in the UK, which I guess mm -hmm. uh, Waystar does as well. They, they He owns Logan Roy, owns some tabloids. That get him into some trouble in the 80s or whatever so yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah definitely some maxwell things going on there a little bit of the trump vibe i get with um <laughs> with uh with connor the eldest son because he doesn't have the same mother as the three younger um the, the, the younger set of kids mm -hmm. so there's actually like three marriages involved here with logan roy and i realized that uh, his first marriage is kind of like the elder trump the oldest trump daughter Mm -hmm. I'm not the oldest. Forgot her name, Tiffany. I have to tip exactly. You've forgotten her name. That, that's exactly the issue. It's like the forgotten kid. It's like okay, that was the marriage that didn't pan out. That yeah. was the wife crazy. That was the kid that we've just kind of, you know, closed off. He's still here. He's still in the picture, but we're not really into him, and he's not really a contender. And mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely yeah. had a Trump feeling with Connor. Yeah, that's Connor is a really curious character, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, he's he's going around with his his love interest, which everybody in the family accepts she's a sex worker. <laughs> <laughs> they just, you know, they just know she's a sex worker and that's that. Yeah. And they're kind of cool about it. Yeah. Uh, she transforms into an actor. Well, yes, of course. Yeah. Right. She wants to be a playwright. And uh, yeah. Which um, puts that long tradition of of disdain towards actresses as being you know sex workers <laughs> yeah kind of links it up but in the contemporary situation yeah so, yeah they've got about he's got about so he has connor kendall shiv roman and then a mysterious nephew that shows up which brings up the topic of who is the nephew of um, the amazing actor, and I've totally forgot his name. I want to say Cromwell plays Logan Roy's brother, and yeah, it uh, is, he comes it up. Cromwell. It is James Cromwell. Cromwell. Okay, James Cromwell. There you go. Um, so those are the main characters, um, with a bunch of very interesting side characters, and it is really hard to tell. After I got through the first season, it was really hard for me to tell who I disliked more. Really, yeah. <laughs> found them so repulsive all of them all of them this series <laughs> is a master class in how not to be yes yes like it really is if you want bad role models if you want to learn how to be just an atrocious sibling partner <laughs> friend business associate watch succession you will pick it up right um and i'm willing to say as we start our conversation tonight that I'm going to call it an anti-capitalist uh, TV show. 
in the same way that maybe The Sopranos was, but instead of um, the, 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 you know, the Corleones or The Sopranos, they were justifying that they were businessmen. These seem to be justifying that they're criminals. They are legalized criminals, almost opposite than the Italian-American kind of uh, mafia we've come up with, um, which... And who are happy to, to wield and abuse power. Yeah, yeah. That's true. And they're doing everything. It is anti-capitalist in the sense that they're doing everything by the books. You don't yeah. see a lot of criminal activity that's going on. There is some stuff with their cruise line that's a little sketchy. And right. they end up doing the, the John Mitchell right. Watergate thing and like shredding documents. And, and the character like of Mo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. Mo, Mo Lester is the joke. You know, it's like, funny. Mo, yeah, Mo Lester, that's no, right. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's good. It's awful. So, no, that's oh. actually, we should probably talk about that for a minute because, I mean, it becomes an, an important uh, theme through part, part of the show. They have to deal with the problem of Mo Lester. Mm -hmm. uh, and the really chilling thing is that all the characters knew precisely what was going on and were happy to make jokes about it and and didn't bother them in the least and it would never occur to any of them to try to stop it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at one point there's a congressional hearing and they're grilled about this nickname. And, yeah. and they're asked, like, don't you think it was a little odd that you didn't know this guy was doing anything shady with his uh, employees in a cruise line and yet you called him Mo Lester? <laughs> like, right. don't you think it was a little strange? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, everything else that they do is completely above board, completely sanctioned. This is just how media is run, how businesses are run, uh, the way they talk about their shareholders. Uh, you know, all of it's just absolutely normalized. It's it's just things that we know go on. At one point, the episode is even called, what is it called? Uh, retired Janitors of Idaho or something like that. Because that's how they think of their shareholders. It's like, these are just, these are just, dumb jerks that we bring in once a year and you know we feed them a buffet and you know and we, we don't manipulate them. them they don't matter right well and i think we can probably work through some of the characters i jotted down some names so before we started this i'll just get my little thing off my head here i wanted to say i told stag i said you know i feel like you could analyze this show with different types of capitalism and the characters representing different forms of capitalism and he said well you're gonna have to really prove that well, I don't have time to make a big list or anything. Steve was very worried that I was going to be like wrong or something. But I did take a quick note with a few characters, what I thought we could. We don't have to even develop it, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. I would say Logan Roy is advanced capitalism. Kendall is state monopoly capitalism because he wants a state owned. He wants it to be in the family one. Um, Tom is corporate capitalism. Venter, I'm saying his name wrong, I'll fix that, is a finance um, capitalism. Shiv might be free market. She's willing to kind of, you know, work around and send things around. Um, I think our buddy Roman might be um, mercantile, especially when he ended the TV show with a Walmart t-shirt that everybody broke the internet that he was wearing a Walmart t-shirt, I guess because he was coming to the end of his potential reign as a, an elite and might be dropping. Um, and then eco-capitalism, I might say, is Connor. But I'm not attached to that. I thought I'd just throw it out. Maybe some of our listeners might have watched it. And they might even, you know, be able to uh, send us an email on that. 
Well, go ahead. Yeah, I think there's some. It's kind of a boring analysis, but I just thought it might have something that the writers maybe did because that would be fun. But I I didn't spend a lot of time on it, except to try and nail a few of them. Where, I I have to ask you though, where would Greg fit in? Yeah, Greg, I think he's like the classic bourgeoisie maybe, but he's he's poor. But he wants to advance into, he's willing to do anything. At first people, like you think he's innocent. I almost thought maybe I can cling to Greg. But after a while I was like, no, perfectly corrupted by the capitalist system. Oh, absolutely. Within minutes. (laughs) Greg is fascinating. Yeah. Greg is a Greg is a character who shows us that there's not a lot of difference between slacker Greg working in the amusement park and Greg the corporate lackey. Yeah, really, he's he's the same guy and could be completely comfortable in both roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the message there must be: there's a lot of people in corporate America who are like Greg. Yes, mm-hmm. you kind of nailed something there because, and this is something people don't really want to hear, seeing how like Machiavellian like, Greg can get. Like every time in the in the series that something really big goes down, like sensitive documents are revealed or a secret is spilled, Greg is usually somewhere behind it. Yeah, like, he's Greg is, is such a little instigator, and he's just nosy and always eavesdropping and always trying to get an upper leg and everything, yeah. and. The thing, though, is that we're all kind of Greg because we take what we can get. Greg just he cons his way into the business in the first place. He -hmm. takes advantage of his uncle having a stroke and then tells everybody, oh, you know, right before he had the stroke, he offered me a job. Yeah, which is true. Right. Like so he cons his way in in the first place. He shouldn't even be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he just takes every advantage. Like if there's any opening, Greg's going to get in there. He'll even create openings for himself. Definitely. And he's, he's still very subservient. He's He never does it in a domineering way. It's always just very sly, just kind of oozes into the cracks. He's very he's happy not. to be taken under Tom's wing. Yes. He is. He, he, he's the kind of person that needs, you know, he, 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 he needs a sponsor, right? He can't just go in there on his own. Yeah, and I think Tom that even the refers lower class. To him. Sorry? Tom even refers to him as as a thing as a thing like um well i need somebody else to be gregging for me tonight yes yes it's it's a job yeah Yeah. well and i think he you know this idea that if you're going to be in the lower classes like even if he's you know i think he had a single mom an abandoned mom from the father um even if he's going to be in it that to get anywhere in capitalism you have to start to Grovel. Now he wants family. There's a part of him that did say, oh, I just want more family than just my mom. There was that feeling. And he still always comes to see, but you're right. He always seems to betray it right away in order to jot up. And of course, much of this show does remind me, a quote I've said a million times, Robin Wood said, two driving forces of America, North America are capitalism and patriarchy. And that's what we're watching in the show. Um, Exactly. Yeah, And, you know, in the way that Greg attaches himself to Tom and has to have that sponsor in order to get anywhere, um, most of the women in succession are in that role, too. Yes. They're all kind of Greg's because they all have, Shiv has to attach herself first to a powerful politician. Mm -hmm. You get the sense that she kind of wants to get into politics herself, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't do that. She just finds a powerful politician, kind of a Bernie Sanders type, to 
attach herself to. She's kind of hitching her wagon to him. With her dad, she's the exact same way. With Tom, she's exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. She kind of attaches herself to Tom in the hopes that he's going to rise up in her family's company and that she'll be able to ride, you know, be the real power behind the throne. Yeah, gets that's strong. kind of her plan in the beginning, right? Yeah, and then as finds out that maybe her dad sees her as a viable contender that, oh, she can kind of maybe, you know, her husband's not that important. And you see her kind of distance herself. Mm-hmm. And the marriage becomes really rocky at that point because mm-hmm. she's just not into him anymore. Their, their, their marriage is very strange to start with, I think. And Tom, Tom, to start with, is the ultimate fawning bootlicker and obsequious lackey. Like, yeah. he's the corporate survivor. Yeah. Somehow, when the corporation blows up, he's the guy who's going to walk out unscathed. Doesn't he have a first name, too? Out of everybody, he's Tom. I don't even know how to say it. Wombagans? Wombagans. I know. It's it's so windy. It's so smart. It's awful. Yeah. It sounds like a little... Like a like a weird little furry creature you'd find, like in Yamak or something. It just yeah. doesn't sound. Right. Yeah, it's like a bad guy in Dickens too. It's not a good Dickens name. It's not all cute. Um, okay. Yeah. So what about Tom? Tom is just wow. He is really the sleaziest of the sleazies, and he is. Um, and and I think he does among the best jobs acting <laughs> in, in in the show. Yeah. I mean, he really he jumps right into that role with great relish. Yeah. Yeah. He's it's funny because I kind of thought about him. I thought about him in terms of the book um Susan Flutie's Stift about men losing their power and, and jobs in society. And that's his ruthless thing with his wife. He really I think he does care about her as in his own way. And I think she cares about him. I guess that they just aren't able to maintain it because of that terrible environment. And part of the terrible environment, I want to say too, is that. They're in the most beautiful settings. They have a gorgeous offices, gorgeous homes. They're on a yacht. They never are ever partaking in any of their environment. We barely see the meat. They are so consumed with the game. It's so they're true. Not, they're, they're not in a bathing suit. You know? No, they're in these sumptuous, you know, gardens and villas and and beautiful, yeah, beautiful, beautiful backdrops. And they're so busy. They're so engaged in conflict. They're just in battle all the time. They're always on their phones. They're always going at each other. They never stop to enjoy. Like Connor says, I'm a billionaire. Yeah. Which has to mean that they're all billionaires. Yes, they are. So you've got a bunch of spoiled, dysfunctional, broken billionaires who want power. Right. And you'd think, why don't you just go and, you know, at first I thought, well, at least Connor's living a life he's enjoying. But he isn't. You know, he's... You know, if he's an eco-capitalist and he's all Mr. Touchy-feely, like he loves his nature and everything, um, he's got that presidential desire, you know, and he's a romantic, self-styled Ted Turner going to run for president. And um, he knows secrets on the family, his real power. There's two people who really seem to know secrets. It's Jerry and it's uh, Connor. And I think that their position is that they... They kind of lunge forward and the family's like, oh, my God, I can't go against them fully because they'll tell my secret. Um, I well, don't Jerry know. is also an acceptor of secrets. Like she's happy to get Roman. Yeah. Yes. She's happy to get them all because she can use them later on. Yeah. yeah. So true. Yeah, it's strategic, she, Jerry, I think. Yeah. 
Although it doesn't get her very far, unfortunately. Yeah. I was I kind of rooting for Cherry. Out of all the characters, I could kind of sympathize with Cherry because she's mm. just putting her time in and trying. She's really trying to, uh, yeah, like level up. But yeah, well, I think if if we're all like Greg, I think we could all say that we're we're all like in the same world of capitalism. We may not be the one percent, but in the whole planet, we're the two percent just by living in Canada and the United States. We're already, even if you don't have money, you're already doing so much. We're perceived as being extremely well off, right? You know, we can get a credit card. You can flow. You can dress. You've got the drip. Um, we have food. We have food. Um, and that's even, I think, even very poverty level people are still perceived as like, well, but you're in the States. <laughs> but you're in America, for God's sakes. Um, yeah, so there's a weird thing. Um, one of the other contenders is Frank Vernon. That's who I was saying was the uh, agricultural kind of um, well, finance. He's, he's been with the company for forever. He's been the loyal soldier. Mm -hmm. But he gets fired by Logan. Mm -hmm. But it's not so easy to fire someone in the show. Mm -hmm. They just yeah. keep coming back. It's neatly divided this kingdom that they, they're part of, this Camelot or whatever you want to call yeah. it, is neatly divided into the old guard. You have Frank and Jerry and people who've been with the company forever. And they're still trying to hang on, you know, even though they're very close to retirement. Like with Frank, especially, I, I kept thinking, do just retire. Like, Yeah, I know. Just anymore, right? Enjoy just it. Yeah. Glad and then you have the young guard, the the young the young Turks, the, the kids really yeah. who are trying to come up and take over. Right. Well, I'm glad you have a generational battle going on. Yeah, I'm glad you said kingdom. Which I mean, the King Lear thing is more almost like the plot, but I'm glad you said it because Roy is king, right? The trend yes. and Logan is hollow, so there's a hollow king running all of this. And he wants to, you know, put this, he wants to impart something on people. I think that's part of what's going on is that his vacuumness, whatever he left Scotland for, and we find out that there's an aunt that he won't even say her name, definitely implied that she beat him or sexually abused him or something unspeakable. Uh, did she kill somebody? Did she do something so unspeakable? I, I don't recall it being outed, but it was definitely... He's still mad. So he is the epitome of hate, I believe. Pure, pure hate. And I guess like a hateful thing, the only thing he can get is by hoarding. And, you know, he's really a hoarder. Um, just hoarding all that wealth and hoarding his family and holding them hostage. He only loves money. Um, I think that his favorite is Shiv, though. Siobhan. Why do you say that? that? I think that he calls her Pinky. He seems to love her he seems to favor her maybe he doesn't love her more but i think he favors her and but he's kind of screwed her over when definitely. when he said oh yeah you're the one that's right she, she, he, she, he did he did screw her over and it's interesting the language they use like she used that language you know i'm it's me i'm the one and then later on when um everything shakes down at the end tom says to her it's me i'm the one right they use the right. same exactly the same language mm -hmm. because he played the kids against each other, right? Like he would he would elevate one above the other, get them fighting, and you see parents doing this in real life, unfortunately, pitting oh, kids there. against each other and keeping the competition going. 
-hmm. Why can't you be more like your brother? You know, like, and it's like a large scale version of that. Yeah. And also almost hopefully finding, finding the one that will take care of them in their old age, building that kind of thing up. So they've got one that for sure, well, they'll get the money. They'll take care of me maybe. But I think the ultimate message and, and what, why, his kids can't succeed why he doesn't see them as as his rightful heirs is that they're not you know the kind of like hyper aggressive like hyper competent hyper masculine energy that he has is really on the way yes and that's not the kind of power that people want to see anymore the people that we want to see in power are these kind of like bland like middle management types we kind of want people who are more subservient like Tom. And they're willing to do really dirty work. Exactly. Like yeah. Tom. yeah. They're willing to do dirty work. They're willing to be executioners and they're willing to do it with just a poker face. Right. right. Well, it's also funny that, you know, um, Siobhan's not, you can't walk all over her. And in many times in the show, they call her Shiv, which of course is like a prison knife, right? right. So it is really funny that it goes from Siobhan to Shiv a lot. And she is dressed in pink a lot or hues of pink and burgundy. Um, you know, I guess tying into that pinky name by her dad, um, nickname. Um, and then Roman is also a kind of um, a legacy type of name. As, again, like they, he's definitely named all his kids, these kind of legacy karma, right? And he wants family, but he he's always pulling away and finding women that he can't make a family with, you know? He wants to be together and then he'll go and do agreements with people and then he'll also back down. They'll be in the middle of the most biggest business meeting on the planet. Everything's hanging in the air and Roman played brilliantly by Culkin. I think he's wonderful. I I really enjoyed him. I don't like him, but I really enjoyed him. He also had some of the best lines that were definitely comic relief. He was Shakespearean for me. And well, he was the most broken character. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was worried throughout every episode, I was worried just how, what kind of really awful thing he was going to do. Because yeah. I thought that his character was the, the kind of character who was capable of, you know, showing up with a gun and, and taking uh, out 30 or 40 people. Ah, uh, see, now I was, yeah. always, I, w- I was always afraid of Kendall. For me, Kendall is the most spiritually corrupt character i've seen in in a long time in a film or a movie tv show he was but he was very self-destructive he would turn it inwards a lot with drug addiction and with kind of you know leaning towards that is, suicide. that is true however he did kill somebody yeah he yeah. is a murderer that's, a that's and, where the kennedy thing comes in there's like a yeah yeah that's true and you know i felt in the same way you felt eugene about i was more nervous about kendall i didn't want him to die but i felt every time something was happening because they put him near water and he would go swimming at these weird crisis times or rebirth times. And of course, the other word for um, alcohol is spirit. And he would go to the water like you might for alcohol to try and get that spirit. I think that's what they were saying thematically with it. But there were three times at least that I thought he was going to go drown himself. I was like, yeah, oh my also God. the scene where he was uh, went to the roof. I don't know if it was the roof, but an upper level of the waste yeah. building. Manhattan and he's looking out over the skyline and you think he might jump and the next time that he goes up there there's a suicide barrier his dad has obviously observed him being up contemplating it and has glassed him in and kind of caged him in and said no that's not an option yeah (laughs) Uh kind of back his options right 
Yeah. The water thing, yeah, is terrifying because you do see him going into bodies of water and you're like, is he going to come back out or is this? But that's exactly what I, I, I was waiting for it. Every time I'd be like, even though I didn't like him, I still didn't want him to die. <laughs> well, and also through uh, um, a good chunk of the, the show, he was depressed to the point of being almost comatose. Mm -hmm. That's true. Right. And, and when he wasn't that way, he was completely manic. Right. Exactly. I was going to say there's a bipolar quality to him where he would be um, just on top of the world and he would have these grandiose, like, I'm, I'm going to take over. I'm, I'm going to go in and fix everything. I'm going to clean up this family. I'm going to clean up the business. And then he would just collapse yeah. and just be like a puddle. Yeah. And he's also, the other reason I didn't like him is that at least Roman seemed to want to hang out with people and he wanted community. He wanted to have, you know, intimacy and in his own wacky. Oh, it might've been, it might've been s &M. It might've been <laughs> getting Jerry to tie him up or whatever. There, there definitely was a Harold and Maude thing going on with those two. Um, but Kendall resisted family all the way to his own having children and his wife absolutely nihilistic towards family i mean he really there's something just terribly wrong with him which of course plays out eventually it does play out by the end of the series but all of this repetitiveness you, you keep thinking he's got his act back together okay maybe he will get roman and and siobhan to sell the business or buy the business or run the business whatever they were going to do um i which brings me to the thought um, of the two businessmen that were so incredible. One was Lucas Matson, played by Skarsgård, absolutely fa fantastic. And the other was Adrian Brody, but I don't remember what his character name was. But these two are, they're the future of business. They're like that, you know, the bubble business or something. Like they're kind of avant-garde business guys. And they, every number, they knew the number on Logan Roy, left, right, and center. Yeah. And that that's where that generational thing comes in again, because you have these young tech bros, they're living on islands, they're they're very relaxed, they're wearing like pretty <laughs> slacker types. They're they're like <laughs> and then you have the legacy media giant that they're trying to just usurp, right? Like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's that generational thing again. And it's irresistible for someone like Logan Roy because he's he's trying to stand firm, but you can't, right? Like sooner or later, these guys are going to rise up and take over. I, I think the business world around the Logan Roy character saw blood in the water Absolutely. as he became less functional um, and then passed. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody really took the kids seriously when mm -hmm. push came to shove. There's one of the most fascinating scenes in the film, I think, is and this goes back to how the women kind of have to attach themselves to someone to get anywhere in this world um, of succession. There's, I think it's in Retired Janitors of Idaho. That I love that. <laughs> Just the title. This the content they have for their shareholders is so fascinating. Yeah. But there's a scene where um Sandy, the daughter Sandy, who's Sandy is one of the guys who's trying to kind of maneuver to take over, you know, parts of Waystar the female Sandy is speaking with Shiv. So you have two women. And at this time, Sandy's dad is in a wheelchair and cannot even speak. Mm. Like he, he 
communicate. Supposedly, he can whisper to his daughter and she conveys his wishes. But you don't but believe it. Really, right? You're never <laughs> sure if that's really happening or not. You're like, is this a giant You just scam? wheel him around places. Exactly. It's like we get at Bernie's almost. This guy is yes. just absolutely <laughs> out of it, right? So, yeah. So she and Shiv are talking and they're both, they're maneuvering to get more leverage within the company. They're trying to get more seats on the Waystar board. And they're doing it through their dads. You know, these are two grown women who can't, they don't, they can't broker their own deals. They can't do anything by themselves at this stage. They still have to work through their dads. And her dad is in a wheelchair. And Shiv's dad is, at this point, he has a, a UTI that's making him absolutely crazy. He's like basically dealing with temporary dementia, right? And they're trying to use their dads just to get some footing. It's such a powerful scene. It's very mm -hmm. brief, mm -hmm. but it says a lot about why people are doing it. You know, why are they fighting so hard for control? Well, and yeah, why I, do they need to do that? Why why do they need power? They have everything. Right. They do not have love, though. They don't have family love and acceptance and validation. So the they feel like if my dad loves success and money, if I can do this, then I'm like my dad and I'll be accepted yeah they they stay in the game i think the only person um the only character who seems to opt out of the game to some degree would be the mother of the three kids who are vying for power um caroline she's something else is that Amazing. the one that she's something else is she the one that lives that roman runs to yeah 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 she still lives, she still lives. where does she live was I'm it kind of fuzzy on Abizio? that? Was it Greece? I couldn't tell. I thought she lived in England. Fiji? I thought it was somewhere warm. Yeah, but yeah, she I could have know. a vacation home and then have a home <laughs> as well. I'm not really clear on where she lives, but she she seems to have a simpler lifestyle. There's there's one scene where the kids find out that she freezes all her crusts of bread. Yes. Because <laughs> her new husband doesn't like them. So she puts all the heels in a little baggie. And it's like this quaint, like, post-war custom that she's held on to, probably from her childhood, of freezing these crusts of bread. And every time her kids come over for dinner, she serves them, like, salad greens and a teeny tiny little roast or a teeny tiny little fish. And she'll yeah. tell them, it's not a feast, but it's very, it's very filling. Or it's very nutritious. Yeah. Is she an insane cold bitch or is she just funny? She is just funny and just honest. She's I guess. I guess because at one point, the part I can remember as an example is Siobhan's, she knows right away that Siobhan's pregnant. This is in the last season. And she's like, well, what are you doing with that? You know, like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm going to have it. Ugh. Right. The mother's kind of like, don't do that. And she's, how are you going to manage this? And she goes, well, I'm going to do it the, the Logan Roy way, you know, offload the kids and, oh, oh okay fine and it's like a very funny conversation but it also feels like they're dead correct <laughs> like yeah that's what those people do was she a hands-on yeah. mom or not i don't think that she was but i yeah. think that she probably was not encouraged to be yeah i think that among her social class the expectation would be you do pass the kids off to a nanny and you do go to workouts and you do go to functions and you do you're the wife Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're the wife of this incredibly powerful media mogul like you don't have time to raise your kids right you be on task and i think she probably resented the competing pressures you know mm -hmm. this push and pull that she there's there's another scene where she says 
you know, one of the kids tells her, well, I can't be here right now. I, I think it's Kendall. He says, I can't be here right now, mom. There's an important board meeting. Yes. And she's so sarcastic about it and so cutting. And she says, oh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, just, you get this sense that she's really been through the ringer. And she is responsible for one of the best scenes in the entire series, maybe even my favorite. Oh, This is at Logan Roy's funeral. Mm-hmm where she says to her son, oh, let's go talk I'm... to the widow. Yeah. And you're like, oh God, what is she going to do? Yeah. Like, why Why would you go and what, what's going to happen? What is she going to do? And I should have known her character well enough by now to know that she wasn't going to be cruel. Mm-hmm. She wasn't, you know, she might be honest, but she's not going to be cruel. She's mm-hmm. not a cruel person. She's brutally blunt and honest. Mm-hmm. And she goes to the the widow, who's kind of been cast aside for a variety of mistresses, and she says, how are you? Let's let's go sit in the front row together. And then she gathers up all of Logan. All the Roy's women. All the, <laughs> yeah. all of all the mistresses. She brings them in this amazing act of like solidarity and compassion. She's signaling to everyone in that room, and there's a lot of people in the room, that we are the survivors. We were on the front lines. We survived Logan Roy. We are still here. And we're not competing for anything anymore. We are together. We are survivors together and we are all equals. Yeah, I think that was my second favorite scene. Yeah, it's I, love, I really it's like that beautiful. scene as well. It yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. An amazing scene because no one else has that kind of compassion for each other. Right. Right. In the family, right? right. And and these this is not family to her. She doesn't know these people. <laughs> she just knows that they've been through the same things that she has. She right. even tells uh she even tells one of the women that well she tells the widow you know yeah i I, i've been exactly through the same thing that you have sally ann was my carry so she's referring to the different mistresses that came in (laughs) different stages of logan Roy's wife and and the wives having to put up with that and deal with that and get over that um and she just acknowledges it openly and says Mm -hmm. yeah i went through the same thing and we're all together in this Mm -hmm. at one point the the widow Somebody asks about her, what's she doing? And she's characterized as, oh, she's shopping. <laughs> yeah. Which is so cruel. It's just like she's just running around buying stuff somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is so, yeah. And that's, and that's how people think of these women. Oh, they didn't really care about him. You know, they're very dismissive of his of his younger mistress, Carrie. But she's really devastated when he dies. She's really Close. broken up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, and nobody wants to give her the time of day. No, they're so cruel to her. They don't even want her at the funeral. They want to kind of rush her out of the room, and you know, they absolutely won't uh, won't have any sympathy for her at all. And it's very cruel. Well, Sarah, you texted me something very funny when we were just messaging about, and I think it was it was right after Logan Roy dies. So there's a major spoiler. He lives for three seasons, though. Um, I, I wonder how we feel about it being four seasons. I don't think fifth, five would have been good. I think they they wrapped it up at the right time. But um, I, Sarah texts me and says, oh, my God, competitive grieving. Roman says, I'm free grieved. Like, uh-huh. I'm expecting this, so I'm good. I'm pre-grieved. You guys are going to have to go through this. 
but I'm fine. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, they can't even grieve normally. They they oh. have to like one up each other even with their grief. Well, and didn't they <laughs> extend the actual death of Logan like an extreme amount of time? Yeah. Well, I, still doing I, the CPR. Also, I don't know. I don't know if he's still alive, but I'll put the phone by his ear. Yeah. Also, painfully, uncomfortably awkward watching them get the news that their dad, if he hadn't died, he was about to die. They had no idea how to behave. They had no idea how to feel emotional. They didn't cry. They weren't sure. And when they finally did, it was it was so awkward. It was That was a horrible episode. I think pretty it, much the whole episode. It really shows just how broken the whole family had become. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it says a lot too that Tom was physically with him. By that time, the family kind of split up. Tom was still working for Logan, but right. his kids had stepped back. So Tom is in the plane with him when he dies. He's by his side, but his kids are at Connor's wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. I, I think we have to remember though that that Tom is the guy who called Logan and said, "Hey, the kids are coming. This is what they're going to do." Right. And so he gets on the phone with the ex-wife and cuts a new a new deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is then. Yeah, he's the executioner. And he says frequently, you know, I'm just a humble servant. I'm a humble I just want to be a servant. I want to be of service. Yeah. And that's how he gets well, to the top, right? Yeah. And and he did hook up with like Shiv in many ways was like Lucretia Borgia. You know, she she could poison somebody if she had to. She could she could make a bargain against her brothers, go back and believe them and disbelieve them. And and in the same way that women who are, you know, when you're a minority and the female story is to be, you know, conniving and secretive and use marriage as your positioning because you're not allowed to have anything else, you know? And, and to see that that was still happening today, you're just like, how could this still be happening? Um, you know, for me, Hamlet is not a sad story. It's a regenerative story because the whole kingdom has to be knocked out. And I think that for me, succession, the Roy family had to go. They had to stop being in this role. Um, they they needed to not be in charge of media <laughs> anymore. I, I don't know if our friend um, Handsome Skarsgård is going to be any better or Adrian Brody, but at least it's someone different. <laughs> Um, and you well, know the, the Matson character was yeah. also horrible. <laughs> I mean, really, he 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 was. First of all, he was lying to everybody about his numbers, yeah. which were all fake. The numbers yeah. in India, whatever that means, were yeah. all fake. I don't know what it means either. <laughs> um, and whatever awful things he was doing with Ebba, mm-hmm. um, she had nothing much good to say about him. But she stuck around. Yeah. He had some boundary issues. And I, I yeah. So definitely yeah, he, he just did, flat out admits at one point that he's been sending his blood to his to this girl that who works for him. She's like his number two. And he admits, yeah, you know, when we were in a relationship, uh, I always said that I wouldn't do this one thing. So I started to do it and then I couldn't stop doing it. And it turns out that this thing is sending he, he withdraws blood and sends it to her. Like, oh, that's never explained. There's no context. Yeah, what do you think happened there? Is she a blood drinker? <laughs> I 
Was that the end of their contract or did he like it? I, God knows. Maybe at some point he challenged her and said, you'll never get an ounce of blood out of me. And then and then he starts sending her blood as an act. Of, oh, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know either. But it she was so stayed. Creepy. So creepy. But, but she, she stayed there. Yeah. And I mean, and Matson was just so cool about like leading on Shiv. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the U.S. CEO. Right, 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 right. But he had no intention of of giving her anything. No, he was playing her just like her dad did. And her brothers. Yeah, in an identical and fashion. And Tom. Yes. So she was pretty much played by every guy in her life. And as as that. Yeah, terrible. Um, and it, interesting, though, that this weird um, a sign of how the corporate world, um, you know, they, there's uh, boundaries. You mentioned boundaries. So there's some boundaries you're not supposed to cross, and then you're in business. And Roman definitely was always breaking those boundaries, just even with his comments. But there's one scene where um, somebody, an executive from Waystar comes and Tom has to interview him about whether or not he's a fascist. And he asks him, have you ever read Mein Kampf? And Tom's not, he's disgusted by this. Um, and the guy goes a couple of times. And I mean, I laughed out loud so hard because it's impossible to even read it once it's such a, a bullshit poorly written text that how could you read it a couple of times um but yes he has to interview him but he never gets rid of him he, he doesn't get fired or anything and tom is displeased by it but he's also like how far can don't almost tell me the truth like exactly. give me the right answer so i don't have to fire you and we don't have to do anything yeah yeah we know you're a Nazi, but you're our Nazi. You're our Nazi. Literally got married at the Eagle's Nest. You know, like they know he's they know he's a Nazi. They know he's like this Hitler, yeah. you know, devotee and stuff. But there's nothing they can do, and they just, you know, he's their guy. He gets top ratings. Like, what are they gonna do? And he's his name is Ravenhead. I mean, it's just you can just like they they really did work on a lot of these names rather nicely. <laughs> it's a great scene because uh, Tom's discomfort is yeah, it's just palpable. And right. yet he is that humble servant. So he's not going to really challenge the guy. Right. He just so, throws a light joke about it and moves on. Right. So as much as corporate America is standing up for human rights, it is in a lot of ways because they're afraid of being sued. But if they can get a backroom HR conversation going, they'll brush something aside. And I thought that was very damning. Just, you know, it was such a creepy, but good scene and funny, but not funny. <laughs> Funny, yeah, a lot of people seem to think that Greg was going to emerge as the power at the end, mm -hmm. um, which I think would have been the ultimate cynicism. Uh, and so that didn't happen. Uh, but I guess Tom emerging as the power is second choice. But I, do, I don't think it was a cynical ending. I was quite surprised it was not a cynical ending in my opinion. Um, I thought it was going to be. I thought it would be like um, Ozarks, which was really one of the more cynical endings to a TV show where, yay, we killed everybody and we're still a great family and we still hang out together. <laughs> well, um, I mean, it was when you step back from it, it was the obvious ending, which is the family fails. Well, the family failed, I agree, except it didn't fail. 
Because in my opinion, um, you know, and I've said this on the podcast, if you're tired of moving stones, walk away. And for me, the, um, the moment of hope was that Shiv decided to walk away. She didn't have to do that. But her panic attack or whatever it was, and when she realized when Kendall came in and all she has to do is remind him, I'll never vote for you. You are corrupt. You're bankrupt. You're spiritually bankrupt. Uh, it's over. And, you know, she left the room and they just closed the deal. They just finished it. So, you know, I feel like possibly, you know, that's the only way you can't change capitalism, at least in my opinion, which just reminds me of something else. I don't know if you guys follow things, but a few years ago, maybe, maybe probably during the show, the early parts of the show, a kind of famous guy, Harvey, um, David Harvey, he's a geographer and a Marxist. So he designs urban settings for people and, you know, almost like democratically tries to design things. Well, he came out and he did a video and he said, capitalism is too big to fail. And I mean, people were, you know, people who obviously were Marxist or progressive were outraged. And his reasons were pretty pathetic. Um, maybe I can share that. Um, his central argument is that capitalism is too big to fail and thus we can the best we can hope are incremental reforms to prop up the system. So it's complete bullshit because, um, and it's funny that he's a Marxist because Marx said problems with capitalism only go deeper and deeper. You're propping up something that you can't prove. We know after 200 years of capitalism that it has no control over economic crisis. There's been no evidence of, of capitalism being able to stop or prevent or heal economic crisis. So um, I, I thought that I wondered how much the writers might have been following that or thinking about it because it was kind of it was kind of bittersweet to think about that and the failure of this guy to say it. Obviously, many people have resisted it and said it's bull. And he wants this utopian land of capitalism where we try to control the bad things and almost like corporate America. And there we see Tom negotiating with a fascist. And um, and that's that's not a life either, you know, for the regular people. So well, I do. Tom feel, would do anything he had to do to survive. Yes, yes. To position and, himself yes, best for survival. Yes. And it's a happy ending for me that Shiv left him. You know, I don't know what's her life going to be. Maybe she will go enjoy the baby on a yacht. Maybe she will go and and spend time with her kid for an hour every day and eat some nice food. Maybe. <laughs> a different take on that though. Because at the very beginning of the series, Tom and Shiv kind of have this arrangement, the plan. They even refer to it as the plan, I think, mm. that if Tom rises up the corporate ladder at her fam company's family, she'll basically go along with him. Mm. Like they're 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 joined and they're doing this together. It's their joint plan for success. And of course, as Shiv becomes the favorite child for a short period of time, like she moves away from Tom because she thinks, well, I can do it on my own now. Yeah. But then, you know, at the very end, she really is, she, there's really this choice. She can put her lot in with her brothers, who may or may not be able to steer the ship, or oh. she can wave from them and go to Tom. And I think there's a scene in the limo where, I don't know if it's a limo, but the car with Tom and Shiv, where they're kind of touching, but they're there not is. really. Yeah. They're reconnecting, though, and you can see this, the, the frost is starting to melt a little bit in their relationship. And she's moving back towards him. And it's almost like the final scene of The Graduate, mm -hmm. where they're moving towards their future in a vehicle and they're not happy about it. 
but this is their destiny and they're going to ride it out. Very good point. Very good point. I, I think that's, you're, you're right. I thought something had happened between that part where they kind of went, well, we understand each other. That's what I thought they came to is we understand each other. But when he betrayed her and went with Matson, I thought she was over him. But I, I could be very, very wrong. That that does make sense that she chose to be since she's already a subservient person. Yes, she, she saw well her be. last opening. She saw her last opening and she dashed for it. And Tom was her her mm. way mm. to the top, back to the top. Mm. That was my take on it. I think there could be different interpretations of it because it is sort of unspoken and you don't really know mm -hmm. where they stand with each other. But I, I really got that impression that she was going to try to throw in her lot with Tom once again. God, that's depressing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the system changes, but it doesn't get better. <laughs> that's what happens with Waystar. Yeah. It's completely uh, overridden by a whole different dynamic. And the young generation does rise up and conquer. But to what end? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be any better? Are they going to be more effective? Are they going to be more humane? Well, obviously not, right? Hey, what do you guys think of the funeral? That was... Oh, that was a powerful scene. I actually, um, I, I watched it with with my husband Richard, and we kind of were, we we had different opinions on it. Like the brother, yeah, uh, that's what I'm referring to. <laughs> who has this love hate relationship with his brother? He obviously loves his brother, mm -hmm. um, and they've been through the ringer together. They had a rough child. They had rough childhoods. They came from rough backgrounds. Um, but he also absolutely despises what his brother has created and absolutely hates this world that he's participating in. And he is very blunt about that at the funeral. And then Kendall gets up and tries to kind of smooth everything over by saying, you know, you may have hated my dad. You may have hated what he did, but at least he did something. And he had the kind of energy that we all need to bring to life. <laughs> so you had these two competing versions of Logan Roy. And I think any, a lot of people would disagree about, is it right to get up and be honest at a funeral? <laughs> is it right to get up and right. just put it out there? It like, probably isn't right, but I loved every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> I did too. I, I thought it was finally. <laughs> that was That was the eulogy that won the day for me. Kendall's was obviously just PR and right. I didn't now Shiv's kind of moved me a bit because she was she did seem to capture the essence of a child. You're right, but he's still my father. She kind of got that. And that was good. But I was like, yeah, it's wrong that he did it, but it was right. <laughs> um, his brother Cromwell, because he says something like, Yeah, he's my brother, we did this, but he is the most dangerous man in America, kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. I I respected his speech. I respected that he did it. And thought that that was really what needed to be said. Someone had to say it, and he was the only one with the courage to do it. Mm -hmm. And the only one with really the right to do it. Mm -hmm. Because he had grown up with this man. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd known each other literally their entire lives. And then there's also that shitty feeling of, like, it doesn't do anything. Right? Like, really, ultimately, other than some feelings being hurt of rich kids, really nothing changes. You know, that it hasn't collapsed, you know, it's that whole thing. You Can you collapse it while you're in it, you know? Right. And there's stony silence after his eulogy. But when Kendall mm -hmm. gives his, you know, like 
boostery one, um, there's applause. There's like a standing ovation. Everyone gets up and claps. So yeah, yeah they're still in the game. Yeah. They're still playing the game and they're still burnishing the the brass on the Titanic. And so, okay, well, <laughs> that's your choice. You know, you have a clear, clear decision to make and you've made your choice really clear. Who is the worst of the parasites? I think Kendall for me. But I feel like they're all equally awful, but maybe Kendall because it's not his fault. He's an addict and he's been broken. He's broken just like Roman is. What what I mean is the people oh. outside the family oh. who are dependent on the corporation. Oh. So there's Frank and the two Christina and and what was the other communication guy's name? Mm, he tries to throw him under the bus at one point. Right. Yeah, you know, they're all so awful and they're awful <laughs> in the same way is that they're they seem to be a team and they seem to be in solidarity, but then as soon as they get an opportunity, there's a scene towards the end where Carolina, who's very high up in the cruise division approaches i think shiv and says you know look can we look at getting rid of my colleague yes and this is Hugh. this is the guy that she's been working with like they're joined at the hip like they practically have the same job and she's saying ah turf him and keep me and <laughs> they're all doing their positioning right it's awful they're all awful and a lot of them carolina you can understand because she's a bit younger but like frank and all these guys are so past the age of retirement and you don't really know why they're still battling for supremacy and still trying to outdo each other. Right. Maybe it's all they can do. I I think it's, I think they live for it. I don't think they have anything else going. Yeah. It's really yeah, sad. It is very bizarre and, um, it, and disturbing. They are all, you know, like vampires. You're right. And um, when are you going to, you know, you know, there was times when he, when Logan, the father dies and I'm like, you guys shouldn't even be there. Like, you shouldn't even be in the building. I would have kicked them all out if it was my house or my hotel or wherever they were, you know, or gone somewhere yeah. else. It was so gross, this lingering of uh, circling the body, you know? You know what? On, a, on the lighter side of succession, though, I think for people who are going to watch it from the beginning, um, it makes a really great drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this all throughout the game. I wasn't drinking during it. I should have been. I would have. Been I didn't so either. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So every time that they needlessly use a helicopter to get somewhere they could probably drive. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, absolutely <laughs> shot. You'll be drunk in like two episodes. <laughs> um, every time the kids like bond and then break apart again because one has betrayed another. That goes on and on. Right. That's mm -hmm. that's endless. Mm -hmm. Um, every time Roman tries to sit down on a piece of furniture, <laughs> doesn't seem to know how to use furniture. It's so true. He always does this weird angle leaning on right? it or something. Like it's yeah. it's like he can't find a way to make himself comfortable in the world. He's so uncomfortable, and and he's in the nicest places. He's in the best boardrooms and hotel rooms in the world, and he just can't get. He he'll he'll just kind of sit on the edge of a chair and like crunch himself up like a bug. He just he just can't get comfortable. He's not comfortable in that world. And you kind of wonder where would he be comfortable? Where would he be at ease? Right. He's never found that out. 
It's as but yeah, it could be a, a fun drinking game because there's so many. That's awesome. I love it. And we're talking so seriously about these characters and that they're awful. They say some of the damnedest funny things, and there it really is funny. Um, you know, I laughed out loud many, many times at some of the most awful talking because it's like you just can't believe that the writers wrote that and they wrote some very um intense, brilliant dialogue as well. Like it's it's almost like the West Wing in that way. It's like the evil West Wing, you know? Um, there are some great lines. My favorite was when Logan Roy shows up at ATN at his network and he's just he's bored and he's just pacing the floor and he's just wandering around among the employees and he's just observing them. And Greg is watching them from a distance and he's reporting back to Tom on the phone and he says, God, it's like if Santa became a hit man. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are those moments of levity where you just you see it through their eyes for a few minutes and you just laugh. You're like, and it's yeah. a purging. It's it's a purging because it's not our lives. And you know, certainly you can have all that. It's a classic thing like Beverly Hills 90210 or Dallas or you know those dramas that are all um, the very rich and they're not happy and they're sleeping around and they're never connected and they're not living a good life. It the for us, like poor, you know, proletariats, we enjoy that. <laughs> you know, we're down here at the bottom, we're like, ha ha, you're not happy. Well, I think one of the reasons why it's successful is because collectively we enjoy watching the fall of the super rich. Yeah, I think so. Because these are people who we can never attain what they what they have amassed and and we we watch their antics and we cheer them on when they fall mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that's why i like my real housewives of beverly hills too is that you know they have everything and that they still can't they're 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 completely always competing for power and status on those the real housewives franchise sure, or or selling sunset or selling sunset exactly. They're chipping away to get a little more power and status, and and they definitely want the other women to know it. You know, it has to be. They want to be the queen bee, and then you just watch. It's very similar to Succession, and um, how relaxing to not be involved in that. <laughs> it is. It does make you feel good. You're like, ooh, I don't have to worry about that kind of thing. Yes, I'll keep. I'll keep my problems. Thank you. I will keep my problems. <laughs> but it does. What I liked about Succession, though, is that even though everyone is pretty unlikable, you do get a real. They are fleshed out characters. You know, you do see their humanity. They, you see their struggles. You see their dilemmas. You see addictions and insecurities and childhood trauma, and and you see these things, and you can relate to them to some degree. Absolutely. Absolutely. It brings them back down to earth. It brings it them does. back. Down. It does. Yeah, they are kind of, you know, they should be like living like gods and, and they are brought very much. They're very human. They are unable to um, escape samsara, we might say in Buddhism. They're unable to get out of the grind of reincarnation. You know, they are constantly um, struggling on that. Yeah. They're, they're very trapped. Like the, uh, yeah. the suicide yeah. barrier is the ultimate expression of that. Like, they could try to escape their dad's, uh, you know, orbit, but it's 
how and why you know it would be so hard to do they could just take their billions and <laughs> go and have a life i know go buy an island but that's what i would do but yeah. i would too but you know they obviously still really want their parental validation they want to be accepted by their parents and you know the the nicest part of it was that they were all hanging out all the time for people who were competing and ga- uh, and, and at each other's you know throats and 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 fighting they actually were drawn to each other all the time and that that really is the power of family you know of of it intimacy is. they had the intimacy at least to get in the same building with each other yes you know and, and I, so think I think that's why they kept at it because it was their connection with each other it's the way they knew how to connect yeah. was through rivalry and competition yeah. there's a great scene in caroline's kitchen um when they've decided that kendall they're gonna support kendall in his bid to be at the top and uh they're just clowning around in the kitchen and yeah. they're just having fun and they're mixing up a disgusting drink for kendall to drink yeah. a feast for king or whatever you yeah. call it yeah and they're just yeah. clowning around and you see them as they would have been as kids just playfully competitive just having fun just bonding joking around you really get a sense of who they are yeah in the same way that they are these these rich people are human in the same way it's very hard for me to believe that the actors exist outside of those roles and are human and that they have a different life than who they are because it's compelling they were very good everyone's so good they did a great job for sure casting was impeccable everyone was just molded into their roles and uh as much as i love um as much as i love brian cox i i have to say like he maybe wasn't even the strongest part of the show i, I think I, the kids I, and their I, dynamic and their I, their relationships i concur yeah i think i think he was fantastic and he you know there he is but i think that they really really flourished all the actors, all the characters were flourishing. And that is part of it. You're hoping you're part of it is that you're you're upset when they don't get their way. And then all of a sudden you're starting to side with them. Well, maybe I do want you guys to run the country, the company, you know. Maybe I maybe I do. <laughs> maybe they win you happy. Over. Yeah. Yeah. And even the the marginal characters, you know, even the Gregs and they're unforgettable. I mean, these are characters that are going to stay with you. And that's so rare in a a TV show with such a large cast that you're going to remember each character. The guy who played Kendall is a method actor. And, um, you know, he's, he's in a few um, different YouTubes and interviews of just how deep he went into it. And he even studied how Rupert Murdoch's son, James, I think it was James, one of them anyway, tied his shoes and he copied that. Wow. I wonder where the baseball cap came from. I don't know. Isn't that interesting? He wore that baseball cap so consistently and it really stuck out because it just didn't sit on his head right. It's just like, no, it's wrong. He's not a baseball cap guy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he must have wanted to bring that feeling of this guy couldn't stop being a kid, you know? Yeah. And he hasn't advanced beyond um, childhood. And I think maybe that's Siobhan's baby pink clothes sometimes in those pastels. And that might be Roman's awkward sitting on a truck. He was pretending to be an adult and, you know, lands up. We're obviously so uncomfortable for them. that didn't fit like the the baseball cap and trying to be cool and trying to be relaxed and just not being able to do that. When, When Roman went off into the riot, 
uh, and was running back home to mummy. Um, I really thought that we were going to find out that something bad had happened to him. Like he walked off a building or he got run over by a car or like something awful was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to be as simple as he ran home to mom. <laughs> I think but it says it all though. I think that really says it all. And of course, then they did too. Well, he couldn't adult. Right. No. He, he was incapable oh. of being a functioning adult. And that includes sexually. Yeah. I feel like they all are like that. Yeah. I they feel like all it. three of them were like that because, and Connor, because that, that's the helicopters. Every one of us would just even, you think every rich person is taking a helicopter everywhere? No, they're driving in their own car. People buy cars when they have money and they enjoy driving them just like we do. Um, they, they well, were, helicopters just take it to a, another level of decadence. Decadence, but also, like, I'm so helpless. I need to be, like, taken in a helicopter. I can't handle travel. And they did have a hissy fit when they lost that, when they were left without a, a, a jet. Yes, and they there's like, a scene where Tom says something like, he has to take a scheduled flight. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, you have refrigerated cheese, and, like, he just can't handle it. He's, like, part of it. Oh, which is such a good, you just triggered me on something else. They had two scenes, and one of them's with Tom and Siobhan, where they're negotiating their marriage. It might be a couple of episodes before the limo drive, where it's like, yeah, well, I like that money. I like it. I like the spas. I like the bathrobes. I like the room service. And then with our, you know, so-called uh, Virgin Mary, Madonna, or the um, sex worker girlfriend at one point, or before she got married or when she's about to get, no, they were about to get married. I think he says, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, you don't have to live this life. And I feel bad. She goes, well, I kind of like the money, you know, yeah. it's like, wow, that's how it happens is to, yes, you know, and, and it's not like she was being horrible to him. She was just being honest. Right. It's well, like, yeah, okay, I'll do this. Cause well, I, I like the money. That's part of it. Yeah. I think also that's really part of the issue. Why we can't get, um, taxes to go um, tax the rich is that I think regular so-called middle-class people and, and working-class people, they don't want to tax the rich because what if they get the American dream? What if I win a lottery? What if I make money? Then I want to have that free ride. That even though it's unlikely they're going to win a lottery. That is the American illusion, is that someday you will be in that position. Yes. So you do want to afford them. Yeah, every you just want to be so lenient because you're going to get there, too. You're going to and it is, a there's a lot of S&M feeling in, in the show of master and servant. And, and, and I think that's the other part of this is that, you know, really everyone's serving somebody. Logan is serving his hate, I suppose, um, from something in his past. You know, and, you know, maybe I hate him the most because he's responsible for the dynamic of the family. Yeah. He's the worst. Maybe he's the worst. I don't What's know. Cool, though, is that, and, and something that is kind of unspoken throughout the series is that this family is only where they're at because of their viewers, their consumers. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody has to be watching ATN. Somebody has to be paying for advertising on ATN. Correct. You know. We're all feeding into, you know, who they are. Right. Just as we supported right. Rupert Murdoch, we're the ones buying the tabloids, reading them. 
Right. Well, I learned something that I didn't know before because it's one of the other parts that's very funny about the show is that I know we just sound we're all like the soap opera because it is a soap opera and it's fantastic. But there are lots of great things. And one of them is when you get a catch of the TV shows, of the news that they produce. And they have, I always thought it was called like ticker tape, but it's called Chiron. I had no idea. C-H-R-C-H-Y-R-O-N. I had not heard that word before. Now I know. But they have things like transgender people are sneaking into the country twice. <laughs> they would have these headlines that were so ludicrous. It was awesome. <laughs> and again, all amongst all that drama, you're getting attached, like you're sort of getting attached to people. All of a sudden, that comedy is right there. Of like, how attached are you to this world? Which is also another interesting thing. Like, how how much are we in it? And we let them do it. We consume their product. We watch their news. We watch their TV and, you know. Yeah, even if you're hate watching, you're still giving them the credit. You know, you're still giving them their... Well, they also make, for example, Fox News, Mur Murdoch, he makes some of the greatest TV shows ever. The Simpsons, you know? I mean, how do you weigh that? I guess because it's like that free market. Well, we'll make money on anything. We'll make money on the alternative. We'll make money on the money, on the on the um, art that's making fun of us. Right? Hmm? Yep. Who's the real villain here? <laughs> Remember the scene where, where Tom is talking to Greg about his future? And, you know, he says, I think I can keep you, but you won't be making like a couple hundred thousand dollars anymore. Um, you know, you, you may have to only, only make a little bit of that, but I think I could keep you. Isn't it crazy that he made $200,000? It's the same, the same, actually the same character who was like in a clown suit, um, you know, a couple of years before. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This insane scene is where he's talking about inheriting from his grandfather and or suing Greenpeace. <laughs> which is hilarious in itself that's yes. one of the funny yeah happen. i don't think he ever does it but it's hilarious that he wouldn't consider it mm -hmm. but he, you know he's saying i'm only going to get five million out of, out of this <laughs> or i'm going to get five million out of it and the other the other the family members are telling him that's not enough <laughs> the first rich man in the world like you can't retire on that mm -hmm. so they're telling him that five million is like nothing and uh that's their world you know five yeah. million is Five million is nothing. Yeah. Even a hundred million is nothing because Connor spends that on his first on his failed presidential bid. Right. <laughs> that whole presidential bid bid is hilarious. It is hilarious. I like how he, he re refers to his followers such as they are as conheads. <laughs> yeah. It's really tragic and embarrassing. I mean, they are embarrassing people a lot of times in the show too. I have to say I felt for Connor at a few moments because he's so earnest and he's just trying to do his thing. Yeah. And, you know, his family is discussing who they want to support for the presidency. Like, who yeah. are we going to get behind? And Connor's like, hello, over here, me, hi, I'm your son. I'm running for president. And totally boring him. They're like, shh, grownups are talking and they don't even consider him. Right? Well, and, they, and, and they, they don't give him the time of day. No, None was. maybe in the finale or just just the half hour ending before the last hour of the series, um, they're arguing about who's the rightful, you know, Kendall's the one. And he goes, excuse me, I'm actually the one who's the eldest son. 
Yeah. And he has to remind them of that. I yeah. think. And they looked at him like they he, they looked at him like he was crazy. It, they did. They never thought of him that way. And they're like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, he's Tiffany Trump. He's, he's poor mm -hmm. old Tiffany Warner. <laughs> And in okay. what kind of world can somebody run for president just because he has a lot of money? <laughs> Happens all and the time. And then just for withdrawing his completely useless, futile bid, he gets an ambassadorship. Yes. <laughs> that never happens. Too funny. Yeah. Too funny. I bet it happens a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it was really something. I am really glad I, I, I stuck it out and watched it. Stag did not watch it. Not interested, but I watched oh, really? it. Really? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I know, because it's so for him. Maybe he'll watch it another time. Well, I found it very difficult to not watch because it was, beyond everything else, it was a, a, a who doesn't like a compelling family story where okay. everybody's, you know, backstabbing <laughs> one another? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like Dynasty or Dallas or yeah, or or shows like that, except that you know has better production values. Way better, way better. Yeah, maybe not better clothes though. I prefer the clothes on a uh, Dynasty and Knott's Landing. But yeah, yeah. Although it's really funny because a lot of the clothes did get um, you know, going across the internet like. Some purses were like people were freaking out at her purse and freaking out. I, I love the Walmart shirt. I would never have known that was from Walmart. There was a lot of the uh, corporate casual. Yeah. Going down yeah. 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 To... And apparently after Adrian Brody had his like layered outdoors man look, uh, I guess that went nuts too. People were layering up their sweaters and vests. <laughs> <laughs> their hiking vests and their toque. <laughs> The Scandinavian uh, tech bro look that yeah yeah his name was rocking. How many sons does Stellan Skarsgård have? Because they I all know. Seem, coming out of the woodwork, there's every I time I turn around, there's a new Skarsgård brother. I, I know. know. I don't know, and um, I love him and I love them, but I don't know. <laughs> but thank God, a beautiful man like him had more children, <laughs> and they are beautiful too. <laughs> they are genetically blessed. I will. They say are that. blessed. Alexander's a great actor. He's really good. He was really yeah, solid. He's a very good actor, and 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 they all seem to be. Yeah, <laughs> he's a great creep. I saw him in uh, Big Little Lies. Is that the title? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. He was, yeah, he's he's really a creep. And he he doesn't look creepy in in some roles. He's quite you know very bland. But he's there's something about him when he's creepy. He's good at it. Yeah. yeah, he nails it. He, but uh, I really enjoyed him in the show. It really was a, an exciting pleasure. I guess, you know, it's kind of like if if you've got one pest, having another pest, it's like the raccoons, right? They eat the rats in the city. I just, I want some other life form. I want diversity of murder, you know, to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Please put these people out of business. That's yeah, exactly. Funny. You did find yourself, even as creepy as he was, you found yourself rooting for him at times. Like, he was. Yeah. And I felt yeah. like he was toying with them, so I enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> they were getting they were getting served some of their own medicine there, I think. They were used to having the upper hand and toying with people and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they learned what that was like mm -hmm. to some degree. What uh, what did you think of um um, 
sorry, I lost my train of thought. I'm asking a question. In the middle of asking a question, I forgot the question I was going to ask. That's all right. It happened in the conference this week. I was like, I was like, thank God that's not just me. And it was like young people were doing it. They're like, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. They were like completely zoning out. I'm glad young people do it too. Yes. I feel better yes, now. There you go. Good. Not that you're old. <laughs> but it's stereotype that this there is a stereotype that older people can't do it, which of course they were playing with in succession too. Um, certainly, I would say one of the other exciting parts was Logan Roy was a very vivacious, stately older man. I mean, he definitely had this killer energy, you know? <laughs> he was a guy getting over a stroke and then pretty soon he's got a mistress who's like 30 years younger than yeah. he is. Then <laughs> well, and, and let's him. not forget about about the uh uh the episodes with um oh what's her name holly hunter oh yeah, yeah those were great she was wonderful she was fantastic fantastic she was the one female character other than carolina a uh, caroline who was willing to walk away yes yes yeah, I'm part of this i see what you're doing i see who you are i see it clearly now i was playing you but i don't want to play anymore and she just opts out of the game and then she's gone. She doesn't even show up for the funeral. She's just gone. Right. And it's good for you. <laughs> I agree. That was That's that awesome. was also very um you know exciting. Yeah. It was, yeah. To and see you, you have to close them. some people out. You have to close them out. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the very few people willing to do that. And to just even though it was her last chance at success i think because she'd already classical, been like kind of classical corporate big time success but you know yeah. she probably had a perfectly fine life oh absolutely yes. like she wouldn't have suffered but this was her last big big you know yeah moving from pierce over to yeah. waystar like this was her last chance at the big time and yeah. she was willing to just opt out so, yeah. yeah which i think is um makes her a bit of a hero and i think that's you know the only way to um this this capitalism has to go extinct. <laughs> yeah, we need more Reyes. We need people who are willing to just walk away from it right. and say, right. I see what you're offering. Yeah. I like it, but I, I'm not going to compromise. Oh, which reminds me of when the woman who, were you, are you talking about the woman who was with Kendall, his um, executive assistant? That was in the last episode. Remember, she's like, oh, yeah. he goes, oh, I've got an email from you. And she goes, oh, no, that, you can answer me that next week. He goes, OK, put this together, put this together. And then he goes, well, no, tell me what the email is about. She goes, no, no, it's OK. And you knew because she didn't want to talk to him face to face. And then he, she said, well, I'm, I'm going to find another place to work. And he showed that really was a narcissist moment where within seconds yeah. he turned against her like so vile he goes i gave you access to everything <laughs> okay making a bad choice yeah yeah i was like good for her get away get yeah away. yeah you're right yeah. so there's like two three people who did get away yeah mm -hmm. they escaped and they were women they were all women yeah, yeah. Caroline kind of opted out of the system yeah that's true yeah interesting Interesting also how the politicians and the media people feed off of one another. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it gets it gets uglier when Kendall is trying to say, you know, we'll, you know, we'll play footsie with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they basically are kingmakers, like they select the next president, whoever they endorse. Mm -hmm. 
going to get in as you know because if it's if they're on the right side literally right and then you think about that media part of it right where you're going to get airtime it's like citizen kane it's yeah or fox news <laughs> well, and really scary is is the calling of the election mm -hmm. and, and how a decision to call an election can be made by a tom by somebody by, who's by a tom who's a total idiot yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's not even in the in the game at that point he's still in the middle of the ladder and is able to call the election and and have such a massive influence Mm -hmm. That's an incredible moment. Really scary. Really true to life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope somebody Just writes in about that. succession. We'd love to hear anything, you know, your thoughts on it. Write us an email about succession, maybe. Um, yeah, are we on the right track? What did you think? Who yeah. is your favorite character? Which character did you hate the most? Who was the most dysfunctional? Let's uh, let's hear what you think. Sarah, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you guys. You're a dying hard, a dying hard agent for us. We really appreciate it. <laughs> and that was I, a lot of fun just having um, another voice, you know? Thank you. No, it's been and, great. Um, it's such a fun show to watch and I love being able to chew over yeah, it with people. Yeah, definitely, definitely. again sometime where we yeah. do a single focus kind of episode. It's fun. I love it. It was a lot of fun. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye.